Hello and welcome back to Kvikminderpod, an Icelandic cinema podcast. I'm Rob Watts and on this podcast, me and my good friend Ellie Cawthorn chat about Icelandic film. Thanks for joining us again on our journey, where this week it's Christmas. And Christmas is a bloody great time to be in Iceland. My first ever trip to Iceland was at Christmas and it was absolutely magical. Uh, it was cold, it was kind of snowy and it was very, very dark. But when you did have light, it was amazing. It was like golden hour for four hours. So I managed to get a lot of good photos. But that feeling of excitement and festivity that permeated everyone and everything was amazing. And this week's film Echo captures that, but shows us so much more and gives us an intimate insight into what pretty much everyone in the city is doing and feeling in the days leading up to Christmas and the extravaganza that is New Year's in Reykjavik. So let's check it out. Hello, Ellie. Hello, how's it going? Not so bad, thank you. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. I've been out in the sun all day, so it's time to retreat back to the inside and talk about things on screens instead. Yeah, very cold things, very different to being very outside. Very cold things. Well, you really picked a great time of the year as well for this film, the cl- classic Christmas mu- movie in... Uh... In the middle of the year. Yeah, but I think, you know, we've seen a lot of Christmas already in pretty much, I think in every yeah. film we've watched... It's like Iceland and Christmas are just as one. Mm. So yeah, this was Echo uh, from 2019, directed by Runa Runason. Uh, to give it its Icelandic title, I think it's pronounced Bergmol. <laughs> that was very atmospheric, the way you did that. Yeah, hmm. we'll see if that's right. I don't know. So yeah, it's like, I'll give it a little synopsis. It's not the kind of film that really needs one. But anyway, because it's not really, it's not a total work of fiction. And it's not a narrative-based film. What it is, is a mosaic or jigsaw of 56 single-take static shots of contemporary Iceland over the Christmas and New Year's period. This film shows the full spectrum of society and runs the gamut of human emotions. It's a bit like the kind of Icelandic version of Paris Je Terme or something. Yeah. (laughs) But a lot more paired back I think and and sparsely done and and short sharp bursts into little different lives isn't it rather than fully developed stories yeah exactly story is the key there I think there's maybe two or three where you actually have a kind of narrative arc almost and the rest are real snapshots Mm. of Icelandic society from you know the poorest to the richest to the you know those who don't have anything to those who have everything family and friends and all of that yeah it definitely is the full spectrum isn't it of life and I thought that that's one of the most impressive things about it that we have all these contrasts we have you know old ways of doing things and um, modern technology side by side we have older generations mm-hmm. younger generations like you say we have people who are clearly very privileged we have people who have nothing Everything really is there, isn't it? Which I thought was really nicely observed, actually. Very, very. And I think Christmas is such a time of high emotion, uh, but also, for, I think for everyone around the world, it's a time of coming together. And in a country so small, it's really nice to see just everyone displayed on screen within the same, like, 75 minutes, I think it is. Yeah, maybe it's worth talking a bit about that Christmas setting before we before we go much further, because I think it does two things, which is one is the thing that you said, which is Christmas is a heightened time. So like you say, you have more family interactions than you would any other time. You have celebrations, you have tragedies, but also it like provides quite a nice structure, doesn't it, for the whole thing, because you kind of build up towards Christmas and then you kind of go on through to New Year, which is like a a peak I'd Mm -hmm. say of the film and then it kind of like tails back to the kind of tranquil January blues time yeah um which I think is quite a nice structure absolutely and it's while it yeah we're moving chronologically but that's about the only thing kind of connecting any of the stories isn't it because we don't see the same people we're not in the same locations for any of those kind of little snapshots but I definitely thought there was something about a kind of change of pace um, throughout. So at the start, 
you had like very sparse um very sparse landscapes with no words mm-hmm. and i thought oh my god is this whole thing gonna be silent i was like <laughs> like some art installation yeah that's exactly what i thought it was like these 75 minutes are stretching out ahead of me um but <laughs> obviously as we kind of move through you get more and more interaction and i think there is kind of like a quickening of pace and drama perhaps i get i know what you mean that um scene to scene that changes and there's contrast and stuff and then towards the end we kind of it's like we kind of crest a wave and then we like slowly float back down at the end it it is exactly that and there is the imagery to even reflect that isn't there oh yeah maybe that's why i said it it's in my (laughs) mind because it ends of course with a big wave going back and forth Uh uh-huh but you're right i think even that first opening shot so we only have the soundtrack the music comes in at the beginning and comes in and out at the end. But that first shot is just so mundane. The whole thing is kind of mundane. Yeah. That first shot of the car going through the car wash. It's kind of just like, right. Yeah. What what how what is this? Why? And it's so slow and so serene. And then things obviously pick up towards Christmas. Do you know what the first like three two or three shots made me think of? This is such a inane reference, but I'm going to make it anyway. You know those bits on BBC between the programmes when they change channels? Oh, and they yeah, have kind the, of interstitial yeah, title things. and they have the logos and they have, like, I don't know, some swimming club doing a little performance or some mountain uh-huh. rangers. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought of there. You know what? That's a, a completely fair observation, isn't it? Like, and you're right, because we have those Clevedon swimmers mm. but then in this film we even have you know the old do. folks doing their aqua aerobics we do. and the mountain workers i think again. your point about um the banality though is is kind of key to the whole thing isn't it because we start off with the most mundane banal thing but the whole point is that it's it's really beautiful there's beauty in the banality um for, and that's throughout i think these like tiny human interactions and daily lives there's not really there's only a couple of scenes where there's anything resembling drama I think it's quite celebratory of those kind of tiny everyday moments, isn't it? Yes, I do. I was trying, to, I was thinking about which of all the the stories, which were my favourites. And a couple of the tinier moments did slip my mind, if I'm honest, mm. sort of outshadowed by the bigger ones. But you're right, like every single moment is so well judged and well observed. And even, like there is one which has now come to mind. There's a, a mother and her I think it's her son, just sat in the window looking at the birds in front of the Christmas tree. And there's really, there's really nothing happening. They're just um, sharing a moment. And I think her mum comes in and starts moaning about next door neighbour's car or something. But just the, the, the relationship dynamic just there between the three characters in that sort of two minute scene. It's really lovely and beautiful, like you said. Yeah. And, and all, the, all the shots, like, because they don't move. They are one take and one 
position. They're just so amazingly composed. Yeah, they're almost almost like a like a painting, aren't they? Each one. Mm-hmm. And I think that they all have like little visual cues in them, don't they? So I've, I was thinking of, you know, when we get a scene of um, just some kind of drunk guys playing Monopoly, which yeah. obviously always cause arg- arguments. But there were so many things just in the backdrop that like, tell you about their lives and like somebody's feet just poking into the edge of the frame. You know, like <laughs> all these tiny little kind of visual clues to to somebody's life and also what's happening. And I thought that was cleverly done throughout. Did you ever find the single shot thing a bit frustrating? Sometimes I wanted to get closer to act to the action, you know, when we were seeing interactions between people, but I really wanted to like zoom in on their faces. Sure. I have to say I, I didn't, except there is one, there's the one where the girl is being told off for hitting the bully uh, yeah. and the classic, the whoever the adult is, is, isn't really understanding the situation at all. And I was like, I don't know if this is the teacher or who quite who is talking because they're off camera. And I wanted to see who it was. But the framing works so well because she runs away, turns around and that person comes into frame. I just thought, yep, that's fine. That's all I that's all I needed. Didn't need to move. The characters just moved. Yeah, that was really classy, the way that people moved in and out of shots. And that changed the whole kind of story of some, didn't it? Yeah, and the focus just pulls from one mm. one little meeting to another, like in the there's like one of the families getting ready for their Christmas or New Year meal, and the the young couple have a little kiss. Yeah, and then it cuts to the sort of switches focus to the living room or the dining table, and the old the parents and the young younger children are. I think it's hugging. just you know the, the whole thing was so understated that then sometimes I just want to be in closer. So I'm thinking of, you know, the scene, you have a scene where there's the guy who's a drug addict and he's going to the health workers, social workers, whoever they may be. Yeah, one of the most powerful yeah, scenes. Yeah, for sure. And they, uh, for, you know, his needle box and stuff and they give him a Christmas present. The whole thing was so subtly played mm. that I just really wanted to get in on his face, you know, and and get more intimate but i i totally get why it chose to have those kind of single shot images because that definitely worked and it was incredibly coherent and it gave the whole thing like a a really hypnotic feel so i understand why that was just my one quibble if i were to have a quibble Sure. I, do, I wonder, that probably would, I would have made things a lot more complicated, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't know. So I, I don't think they had that much time to film it and stuff. And it's obviously a stylistic decision anyway. Mm. Uh, but I think you get all you need from that. You've mm. got all those, I mean, that's, that scene, we've talked about, you know, drug addicts in Reykjavik, mm. in, you know, the last couple of films. But to see a sort of really naturalistic depiction like I mean, I'm not sure what because this film is is three three different styles of story. There's the the scripted. I think well, I can't remember what the director says, but he says I think it's scripted, initiated. Which I'm guessing is kind of like an improv vibe. Yeah, so they'll they'll be given they'll be told the scene and that's what the where they go from there. Yeah, and then obviously just the real. And the real ones presumably are like the big carol singing scenes and the and the group scenes. I, I would think so. Yeah, the the carols, the bonfire, a lot of the New Year fireworks stuff, mm. uh, and even the birth scene. Obviously, I can't quite recreate that. Yeah. But that, but that, um, yeah, that scene with the with the drug addict and the and the workers helping him was just, I I mean, firstly. They're giving him all the things he needs to continue to fuel his addiction because that's kind of the only way to stop them, mm. you know, I guess, reusing needles and all this kind of thing. Keep it as safe as possible. But then their support for him over the Christmas period, mm. just saying that they're there 24 hours a day, we can call you if you'd like. And he's just so grateful to have someone to talk to. And, and then that present giving, oh, my God. Oh, it's just like... 
that's so lovely. I think there's a lot of humanity and empathy, isn't there, in the film. And I think um, any kind of time that we see people who are part of the Icelandic state, they're quite... Mm. um, they come across well so we have those people and then we also have the uh well what we would call i guess 999 operators emergency services yes. 112 112 exactly who which i thought that was one of the most powerful scenes to me so we have a guy answering the phones and saying obviously speaking to a child who's involved in some kind of horrible domestic incident but he is mm. the most calming person I have ever heard. I think if I rang the emergency services and he answered, I would be a bit like, have I rung the right number here? You were like too calm. Sure. <laughs> but really reassuring and, and kind of made you feel good about the human condition on a whole, didn't it? Absolutely. I I, I can't imagine being in the young, young child's kind of position. But oh, I can't, neither can I imagine being on the end of the line and because they're just sat in that nondescript office at a computer and he's talking him through what to do and calming him down and just having a conversation. Just, yeah, the, the humanity there is, mm-hmm. is beautiful in a quite devastating way. I think actually throughout, there's, there's really not much of the bad side of humanity. I'm trying to think of some. So there's the kind of the dad in the Christmas tree shop who is played for played for laughs more (laughs) yeah exactly arguing with his daughter and then in the end it does seem that he gets her that the outdoor christmas tree she wants anyway so that kind of is kind and other than that the the immigrants at the church is probably the most sort of dramatic politically yeah who would so the the kind of story we're given there is that two immigrants are trying to claim sanctuary at a church and then they're removed by mm-hmm. police. Yes. So yeah, you're probably right that that's the most um, combative. It's not a nice thing to watch in any context. Um, I assume that wasn't a real arrest, uh, but it's it definitely shows. I mean, you know, immigration is a huge thing the world over and everyone deals with it again i i mean i'm not a political person particularly but it seems in very much a similar way i don't want them to go back home to end up you know dead mm. and you wonder why they can't stay but you're not given that information all you see really is them being taken away by the police mm. who then pop up again later on obviously in that 112 call uh do they pop up again but you see kind of both sides to Mm. to the emergency services there yeah uh, and i like that kind of contrast and it's just very truthful i suppose it's like this it might be christmas and people might be having fun but not everyone is having a great time yeah the christmas element definitely adds to that doesn't it those the sense of some people celebrating being with their family the joy and other people christmas is a really hard time for people who are homeless or drug addicts or the old man in the um in the old age home for mm. example those kind of things on christmas are especially poignant you wonder with that one 
whether the granddaughter seems to really care for her granddad and it's really kind of sweet moment but perhaps only happens once a year yeah i don't know it certainly feels like it's christmas let's go see granddad i I hope not but it is still very heartwarming it's interesting isn't it when you only get you know a minute of something that then you're Mm. kind of left to fill in the blanks of what the rest of the story is so I wonder if it's always this, like, you fill in the blanks the same way. Because for me, I saw that one and I thought maybe he has dementia and he doesn't know what's happening, for example. So he's kind of not responding when his granddaughter or whoever's talking to him. That was my thinking, too. And then there's other ones as well where you're given a snapshot of the story and you have to kind of fill in the rest. So actually, I was thinking, you know, um, it's a really different one, but there's the two friends i presume again we don't even know in the bar a guy and oh, a girl yeah. and he again assumption is they're friends especially by the end of that yeah scene. and so he's kind of saying oh oh look so-and-so's over there doesn't she look really hot so my assumption there is that they were friends but she kind of was in love with him yeah and he wasn't but he had his eyes on yeah the someone else exactly but then again that's like a whole year's worth of a story that we get in like 60 seconds it's, yeah or something? it's like masterful storytelling to be able to tell mm. someone you know there's this complicated relationship between these two friends who like going to gigs together and stuff and then yeah mm. just with a couple of lines from him talking about another person and her just her facial expressions you sort of know mm. what's been going on and how how he doesn't know what she feels and sometimes i quite like that that those kind of stories and the assumptions that you made were well turned on the head so i'm just thinking of so there was a guy who was drinking wine in his fancy <laughs> apartment we knew we know by this point it's kind of christmas yeah. day he's got the um, telly on and he's got the telly on he's got a glass of wine very big glass and a <laughs> microwave meal and you think oh god this yeah. guy's alone on Christmas. What a sad thing. But then he kind of gets out his phone and takes a picture of his of his <laughs> dinner and you can tell like somebody's texting him and you think and so I went from thinking, Oh, this guy is either horrible or really sad because he's all alone on Christmas to thinking, Oh, his partner is away yeah. or can't be it, with it him or like anybody. It it flipped the story yeah. totally, which was really clever and nicely very nice and i mean my first reaction to that was that's a very fancy wine rack uh (laughs) which (laughs) is true it's it's very if i could if i had a big old house that would be a a kind of cool way to display the wine but you're right you don't have any context and it's such a classic setup of someone having a microwave meal on their own but yeah Mm. i love the fact that you just you can make up your own mind who is on the other end but it makes the story seem a lot more positive than it otherwise might have mm-hmm. been yeah I, I just love the storytelling and the again there's a lot of them do have a little bit of humor in and one of my favorites yeah. is the uh the daughter and the stepdaughter playing piano i didn't find that humorous i found it not? heartbreaking it's, it's humorous and <laughs> heartbreaking like maybe just that you should explain what happens yeah so a girl, a young girl is, has come to see her dad. Her parents have obviously split up and he's with a new woman who has her own daughter. And she's turned up, uh, the, the daughter's turned up to spend Christmas with her dad and she's going to treat him to a surprise, which looks like it's probably her playing this beautiful piano oh, piece. Uh, and she sat there practicing while he goes and does whatever he's doing with his new wife. And she's okay. She's not particularly great. This really brings back so many memories. Uh, (laughs) Like incredibly mediocre flute playing. Mm. And then I'd go to school and in orchestra, there'd be someone else who will remain unnamed here who would just absolutely boss me. And I just think, why bother? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's exactly what happens. And then the stepdaughter comes in Turns out the dad is a piano teacher and he's just been teaching for like th- for the last three years or whatever. Mm. And she sits up there and just smashes the shit out of that <laughs> piece. And just leaving, I think it's is it Elska, I think, is the daughter. And she's just standing there, arms folded, just very disappointed that she's not that good. 
mm. and then has to sort of tell her dad that there was no surprise or she doesn't want to show him that she can play oh, that, that so piece sad. oh because she's not as good as the stepdaughter oh. Oh. and it goes on for such a long time <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're like please end please stop playing yeah i considering they're all so short that one i must be the longest maybe it certainly yeah, feels possibly. like it and it's yeah funny The, the one that I found funny, which again is probably not like it's not exactly straightforwardly funny, but is um where there's some kind of like parking dispute or oh, yeah. some guys blocking the road and then a woman comes out and is like what's your problem? And she's clearly the aggressor. Then it's saying like, you're attacking me. I'm going to broadcast this on Facebook live. And the guy's like, what? I'm just, he's just I'm trying just to park his car. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but he's just trying to park his car and she's come up too close behind him. Yeah. It's very, it is a very funny scene. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Which again, is obviously kind of dark humor, but again, a nice kind of commentary on, it all felt very contemporary, didn't it? So yes. quite a few of them had kind of tech elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That makes it sound weird and boring, but raised some of the issues to do with tech. So there's that one I was thinking of. And um, and the Nan with the VR headset. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nan in a VR headset, which is always a winner. I mean, classic, very funny as well. And then, but but in the next room, like the, the young couple uh, Skyping his family, I think. Well, that's again not, clear, is it? not yeah. clear but that's my assumption and it's just really nice to see you know because we have we've talked about modern and old iceland and you see it all in the same room in that place for like yeah. a minute and it's yeah it's cool i want to come back to that modern and old iceland point but mm-hmm. the other thing i was just going to say on that tech point is the other one we have as well is the dad who is possibly a farmer or some kind of hydroponics oh outside the greenhouse outside some greenhouses talking to who we presume is a bank manager or whatever um saying i couldn't get a loan because you know the algorithm has Mm -hmm. screwed me over can i talk to a human because the algorithm's not trusting me (sighs) which again is like that kind of slightly um distrustful of tech side of things it's that modern frustration that we all have now where you can't ever speak to a human being uh and in this case like his entire life is sort of on the line Mm. here he needs the loan which has always been given because their income varies over the year christmas is a good time apparently um i'm not sure what is growing i'm pretty sure that greenhouse is actually used for tomatoes in Mm. real life uh but yeah, it's like the the negatives of modern technology and how it could like drastically ruin a person's livelihood. 
just because it doesn't take into account anything that has been agreed on in the past sort of from person to person yeah cycling back to the old versus new thing yes there were some heavy rams echoes sure there were <laughs> yes like See what it. I did there um the farmhouse burning farmhouse being one uh-huh so we see this really dramatic shot of the burning farmhouse don't we mm-hmm. and we see in the foreground we have a group of people kind of watching the burning taking photos of it which is classic what you would do these days well of course you would and i'm sure that the the granddaughter there is like instagramming the shit out of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um then we have a conversation with the guy who has obviously chosen to burn it who has come back and it's his grandmother's farm or whatever mm. and he says oh well it's cheaper to get a, a polish um manufactured house or what, what would you call it i don't know like a polish flat pack house yeah and this idea of like the old ways of farming being replaced by just a more international mechanized version of everything i'm not even sure if that house i don't think there'll be any farming going on will there he's talking so i suppose he talks about eggs or something i guess it's just a symbol of the farm more generally isn't it yeah Yeah, farm life and when he's kind of saying to that guy oh i'll pay you for eggs or whatever and this old old farmhand guy is saying oh well i have a deal which means i swap eggs for milk with Mm -hmm. my friend and he says well why would you want milk when you could have cash which is a very modern capitalistic approach to that situation isn't it exactly and that would feel that line would feel completely relevant in rams with when 100%. you've got the, the youngsters the younger farmers or the the outsiders coming in and take so basically saying the exact same thing uh, i thought it was interesting again to sort of comment on the the housing as well because like they obviously iceland's gone through so many changes in the way houses are built we already spoke about like turf huts mm. to the corrugated iron, and now you're actually you're, they're physically or this person specifically is physically destroying a house mm. rather than doing it up because it's not cost effective to be replaced with not even not just parts but a fully formed house is coming from another country now. You know, yeah. it's uh, it's the whole the whole film I suppose is commenting slightly on it. This is modern Iceland. And this yeah. is just, this is what's happening. The internationalization of pretty much everything. Uh, same with the immigration stuff. Like the the um, the prime minister's talking about Canadian-based mm. Iceland immigrants. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just saying like, look, we're not just a country of 330,000 people who are all native now. Yeah. People and things are gonna keep changing and they're all gonna keep coming and going from the island Mm. and from you know mainland europe or wherever and that kind of generational divide as well the the scene we get of a guy a librarian (laughs) um (laughs) on the phone to his mum saying no mum we we don't eat well meat i've told you this you know i don't i don't want to have our kids eating well meat that kind of changing attitudes and and rejection of traditional stuff is there again yeah that argument's so good because he starts off by saying well i don't like it so i'm not (laughs) going to eat it if you want to eat it that's fine and then the real sort of the other reason comes out and he's like i don't in principle i'm pretty much against whaling this is like the icelandic version of like but mum, I'm a vegan now. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but whale meat is the Iceland version. Yeah. Have you ever tried whale meat? No, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know what the status of whaling in Iceland is. Is it legal? Is it I think, yeah, it's, it's legal within a certain limit. I have like the feeling that I don't really want to get involved in that. But have you eaten that, whale meat? That's, I think that's like? probably very fair. And I'm basic. I feel basically the same. Uh, I dare I have eaten I've eaten a mouthful yeah. when I was over oh, there yeah. I assume I think when I was there the the rule was you know there's an allocated amount of whales they could kill yeah because it's a traditional Gorgeous. yeah thing and so I tried a 
I was there with a couple of friends I'd made at the hostel and Dirk decided to buy a steak, a whale steak mm-hmm. from, is it, I think it's called the the Sea Baron or the Lobster Baron down on the harbour <laughs> side. Uh, it's very famous for its for its lobster bisque. And uh, he he bought it and I was like, I, I feel like I should try it. What did it taste like? It tasted like the sea. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was very much and I'm not a I'm not a seafood eater at all really. I don't even eat tuna things like that, but it came and it looked very much like a cow steak. Mm-hmm. But and it had also the texture known as of a, a beef steak. <laughs> yeah, or just a steak, I suppose in this country a steak would normally just a be a cow steak. A cow. A cow steak, a beef steak, a cattle steak. It looked like that, and it t- sort of the consistency was the same, but it tasted like just pure like seawater, like uh, the, the the fishiest fish you could ever okay. eat. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know what this what this character the librarian what particularly what particular whale he's talking about, but if it's minky whale, I'm totally with him. No, <laughs> <laughs> Talking of uh, whales and fish, yeah, there's a, as a, a a sort of classic scene of the old men cooking oh, yeah. the absolutely like fermented boiled fish in the garage, yeah, and they all come around with their beers, and basically one of them's like, you can smell that stinky fish all the way down the street, and and the, the character who's cooking it, it's like his wife will not let him cook it in the house because it's just going to stink it out for the rest of the year, but it's a it's an Icelandic tradition and they want to uphold it, which is amazing and cool and fair. But yeah, it's probably one of the worst. I think that that, that scene, the fish cooking scene of the, it, like the old dudes being like, Oh, the wife's inside. I've got to be in the garage. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That and the librarian scene and many others actually are quite a good example of stuff that they're like super Icelandic. Because like mm. when else, where else is somebody cooking like a super stinky fish in their garage over beers? <laughs> Quite. Or arguing about whale meat again, where else is that happening? But at the same time, they're like really universal and relatable. So like everybody knows that trope of the the middle-aged man having a beer with his mate said, oh, the missus, she's on me. I've got to be out of my shed. And or like the guy... Or, like I say, said earlier, you know, the mum, I'm a vegan now, you don't understand mm-hmm. me. They're tropes that are really universal, but they have quite like an Icelandic flavour here. Yeah, it's fermented fish flavour. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but no, that's exactly it, isn't it? It's such a universal, overall, it's a, it's a film that anyone can relate to in, yeah. mo- in many, many ways. But it's so specifically Icelandic. Yeah, I think that is true, that if anybody watched this film, there would be some at least one scene in it where they'd go yeah i kind of recognize an aspect of that relationship Mm -hmm. or that situation or that feeling like it is very broad spanning totally and i had this thought and i don't know it's obviously it's very icelandic and it's it makes sense 75 minute film 56 vignettes all very much Icelandic, but very universal. How do you think it would translate if we did a British version? I think it... Do you think we could do it? Yeah, 100%. I definitely think you could do a British version of this. Obviously, it'd be very different. But mm. um, I definitely think that that would translate. Obviously, not all these intricacies. You'd have to pick new things that were very different. Yeah, specifically British things. Yeah, I, th- I did actually think about this at that is quite interesting about how like racially homogenous the country is because i was just thinking you know Mm -hmm. i actually was thinking this when i watched this what would a british version of this look like 
and I think it would be so much more multicultural, multicultural. and like ethnically diverse. So it's quite interesting that in a film where you have like, and this isn't a criticism because I think it's a reflection of the country, Iceland. Yeah. But in that 58 vignettes, you probably see like two people that aren't white, maybe three. Uh, Which yeah, imagine if, if that was made in Britain would obviously not be remotely acceptable. So it's it no. that was just kind of something that I noticed um, jumped out at me. No, a quiet but, and yeah, again, it's what a would you include in a British version? <laughs> I don't know. You know, we're talking like I probably you see you talk about the uh, the old men getting drunk playing Monopoly. Mm. I mean, you could definitely just have a translation yeah. of that in England probably be more like a family mm. just absolutely beating the hell out of each other screaming uh but also maybe you'd have the builders down the greasy yeah. spoon something yeah. like that um that's i mean that's classic hairdressers British. you'd have a hairdresser in there yeah I think. oh there was a hairdresser there was a hairdresser what was quite interesting about the icelandic one was it was a young yeah. male cutting a young male's hair and they were doing that classic hairdresser yeah you know chat about friends who? and all the goss yeah i forgot that there was that hairdresser one um and i like i like that one because there's the moment where two of the girls they're talking about have the same name and he's like no not maga whatever it's maga it's the yeah. other one and it's just that like everyone there's a lot of people with the same name basically i think those tiny touches are quite nice they make it feel really real because like in a re- in a normal film you would never have two characters with the same name do you know what i mean that kind of no banal banality wouldn't happen whereas there was quite a lot of incidents like that where it felt very real what i found really interesting is like it's such a small country but there's just everything like every random niche you could think of is sort of almost covered like specifically i'm thinking of the bikini bodybuilding (laughs) contest I mean, that's not the first thing that would come to mind when I think about Iceland. No. But I love that it's like, it's it's a part of life, also, so it's there. Also, I love that in a population of 300 and whatever thousand people, there's enough female bodybuilders to merit a competition. Well, yeah, I think it's great. I wonder whether that was all of them. <laughs> there are eight in total and they compete for the crown. <laughs> I mean, possibly. Like every year, same so Yeah. Yeah, um, it's like eight bodybuilders. And oh, go, going back to the discussion we had last week about how many police there are in Reykjavik, I found oh, out. Oh, did you? You did some research. I did a little bit. Approximately 700 active and reserve police officers. That sounds which quite seems a lot. Decent, yeah. Oh, but I mean, I don't really know what else to say about that. <laughs> but it's. I think that's more than we were expecting. Yeah, because that's... Oh, God, I'm not going to try and do some terrible live on no, air maps. let's not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what I, and, and, and talking of population, it's how many people, what percentage of the population are actually in this film? <laughs> That's very true. Because there's a lot of yeah. people in or involved with. That is very true. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. No, yeah. that, well, I'm not asking for no. maths again. Let's not do that. I'm just looking at the other the ones that kind of stood out to me. Mm-hmm. And one was the scene at the bus stop where we have two people yes. that kind of accidentally start chatting just about how long they've been waiting for the bus. And it turns out that they know each other or knew each other at school and that one of them was bullied and the other one kind of tries to apologise for it retrospectively. And that, to me, felt really moving. I don't know. Very, very moving. I wonder whether that's something that actually happens and whether or not it's a good thing to do Rake that. all the past, yeah. Yeah, because the, the girl who was obviously the victim doesn't want to think mm. about it, doesn't really want to recall any of that. And, you know, she says thank you for saying that and forgives her, She's but then she runs away. very interested in going down that no. road, yeah. And again, that's another one though, isn't it, where it leaves so much open to your kind of inference about what happened and it leaves you to imagine the whole story of what was involved there and, and the impact it had on her 
it seems like it might have been one major thing, but yeah, I don't know. And I don't really want to think about what it could have been. I mean, school bullies are always, they're never nice and it's not nice to think back on that. And I, I wonder whether any of the school bullies at my school will, would ever, by chance or not, do something like that. I think possibly. And I'm not sure they I would. think a lot of people are are really cruel as children and then grow up into quite nice people. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, children are just mean, aren't they? So I think that probably does happen quite a bit. Oh, well, I'd like to think so. Uh, and I wonder whether that would be like the the quota of one bully asking for forgiveness mm. for the year. <laughs> oh, and, and also whether or not Christmas was the reason for it yeah. as well. Like whether that sort of swelled their heart a little bit and they felt the need to apologise. But that's, I think that's always the thing. My thought was, are you apologising because you're genuinely sorry or are you apologising because you feel the need to get it off your chest and that's not that that's not made clear in any way i suppose and it's so internal as well we don't necessarily get to know anyone's internal Mm. lives that much what do you you can see the outward emotion what were some of your favorite scenes some of my favorites one of my favorites visually is the mountain rescue team and we spoke about it last week as well you know people get lost in the mountains regularly uh and you see you firstly you see three people and then the, the shot doesn't move but you just get this sort of flying v of all the search and rescue workers just coming into frame and filling the landscape the big white mountainous landscape and it just it's one of the more kind of vivid shots that i remember from the film mm. absolutely love that and again it evokes that kind of it's Christmas. Where are they going? What are they doing? Now, obviously, it looks like they're searching for someone. Uh, but who and what and why, we don't know. But it's still a stunning visual. Mm. So I like that one. And I also very much liked... Oh, I really liked the kids stealing the booze. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Just... A very simple scene, like among the festivities of the new year, which is, as you can see from this film, we spoke about that before, like it's a big deal and there's a lot of fireworks and a lot of smoke and you're just sort of under the cover of, <laughs> I don't know, not even really that hidden, but they go and steal the cold booze from the table outside. Cause, and that's something my dad does in winter over Christmas. He puts all the booze out the back in the cold. Whenever. As far as I'm aware, we've never had any stolen, but uh, they those kids just seize the opportunity and very fair relatable, play to them. very relatable. <laughs> oh, there was just one that I wanted to mention that we haven't spoken about, yeah. Which was the scene in the funeral parlor where a body oh, is brought in yes. of a boy who's I don't know, like eight or ten or something. Yes, yeah, quite. And young. then the, we hear the funeral director it's all very kind of quiet and and slow and then we hear the funeral director take a phone call and say hi darling um hello sunshine uh oh practice is cancelled so i'm gonna have to pick you up late or whatever and it's obviously you know his his daughter who by the way he's speaking Mm. sounds maybe about the same age and i thought that that was just a really nicely observed scene that like the kind of normality of death um, and that life goes on and yeah I thought it was well done yeah you know he's working he's got a phone call it's that's something we all do every day uh, it just so happens that yeah he's a funeral director and the the, the, the casket or the coffin is filled by a, a young person and it's interesting that that's the scene that you choose to show in that situation and I think it's quite a good statement like early on in the film that you could show as I don't know like the mother weeping at the funeral or whatever but we don't get mm. that what we get is like the actual just like everyday um, ticking over of stuff instead and it's a bit like this is what this film's gonna be I, and it's that this again, we, I mean, we've this film literally touches on 
everything we've observed in the previous films we've talked about this series but there the um the opening shot or one of the opening shots of jar city of the young girl lying naked on the table i thought that was really sort of reflective Mm. reflected by this scene like there's almost no no filter it's like we're going to show you it as it is and even if that's a young a young child who's died Mm. that's just the way life is and I'm not sure you would necessarily get that in a British yeah, version of this not. film. or It was very matter-of-fact with, you know, life, death, birth. So you got death and you got the grandma at the graveside saying, oh, we're all going to die. Uh, just you're going to lo- die, I, I'm going to die, we're all going to die. And It's a bit much for <laughs> yeah. a child. <laughs> but then you also got, you know, like, obviously it wasn't gratuitous in any way, but you got like a full-on shot of an actual birth that... Yeah. Is, I think was is well done because it's like shows you it doesn't sugarcoat it but it it's not too much but very much just like this is birth this is death here's some stuff that happens in between quite and it and it's also perfectly placed in the mm. film because New Year's bells have just gone yeah. off uh, it's like signaling the new year with new life and. It's just, yeah, it's a beautifully observed is the word, like we keep saying, scene and perfectly placed in the film because you could put these vignettes in sort of kind of any order, but the way it goes from one to the other, whether that's slightly thematic or slightly shot based or or what have you, it's been sort of masterfully done. Uh, and I do love that bird scene. That's that I watched again this morning. That that scene made me cry again. <laughs> It's just, it's just again, so matter of fact. We see maybe 10 seconds of the mum breathing, having a tough old time. Apparently that birth took seven hours. <laughs> and we get um, it in 30 seconds. We, we get yeah. two minutes of it, yeah. Uh, but the way you know, the, ba- the baby just comes out, the midwife unhooks the umbilical cord from its neck and just throws mm. it at the mum. And then the dad's just there waiting and, the, and they're just, that's it. They're a complete family now. And it's it's lovely. Also, I found it weirdly because that comes at the end and the first shot is that serene shot of the car Mm. entering and disappearing the car wash in the car wash. Weird (laughs) uh, sort of, you know, mirroring. I didn't have live birth car wash mirroring my head, but, you know, each their own. Whatever whatever your brain wants to do. But but that, uh, that idea that you know, New Year's happened, and you like you said at the start that we're moving forward now. We've had the celebrations. We're going into the new year with new life, and you get that tiny little scene of the guy changing the sign, the car crash sign, which is really I've I mean, I've driven past that a few times. I can't remember how many, you know, what the figure was, but he takes down the fifteen that have died that year, in and. And then puts up a no one's died yet sign. And it's just like so matter of fact and so mundane. This is a kind of yearly job. Obviously, the number changes throughout the year. But it's one of those jobs that has to change. It must be quite nice to say, right, out with the old. This year, nothing. And that's like a positive look to the future. quite a nice, hopeful note to to end on, isn't it? It is, yeah. Maybe a nice, hopeful note to uh, end this podcast on. Just a few uh, pick-up points yeah, that yeah. I wanted to mention. Uh, the music, like I said at the yeah. start, it doesn't play a part in the film itself, or the score doesn't. Uh, that's just sort of opening and closing, but it's absolutely a, a beautiful piece of work. Yeah, lovely way to bookend the whole thing, isn't it? And because when it comes in as well, you're like, ah, oh, okay, I get it. We're back. We're we're complete now. We're finished. We're done. Uh-huh. It's come full circle, and it's that kind of choral strings that we've Had seen before. previous, uh, and is very Icelandic. This whole the whole 
him singing and choral singing is deeply ingrained in Icelandic society. And actually, this music was written by Kjartan Sveinsson, who was in Sigaros. Sigaros. Oh, okay. Um, and his stuff is just, yeah, sublime. Apparently, he's worked with the director, Runason, before. Uh, he, they think this was the director's third film. So, you know, there's two others of his to... Uh, <laughs> to take in at some point but yeah that i love the music uh and even even within the film what we do get like the christmas songs again mm. we've heard a lot of icelandic christmas songs and i think next christmas i might just have to build a little playlist of icelandic yeah. christmas songs because uh, they there it takes me straight back So yeah, love it. Yeah, very hypnotic, very calming, very upli- uplifting is such a cheesy word, isn't it? But I did feel uplifted, so well, I'm going to say it. It was exactly. uplifting. Yes, I think you're right. It's it's one of the, I mean, they've all been fairly watchable films, but this one specifically, like for me personally, having, you know, I, I'm, cle- I'm clearly... An Icelandophile. Yeah. I, for me personally, I, as, as I guess, an Icelandophile, as you would say, um, it just, it felt like a great big warm hug from Reykjavik saying like, look, remember this? Yeah. Come back. And it, it really, <laughs> it, it, it really feels like you're there. And I loved just being able to watch stuff happen. Like, I never thought I'd be that hypnotised by like people by the garbage men collecting the bins <laughs> or, or or things like that you know but i don't know maybe it's because it's a slightly more alien place uh whether or not i would care so much about a british version i don't know but it's it is a very watchable film and i i will happily sit there and let it wash over me time after time i've seen a lot of people say like you should add it to your christmas watch list which yeah you know, I don't see why not. Yeah, all the facets of Christmas are there. Yeah, and that feeling of celebration, which is, mm. I guess, kind of the overarching theme. is like Christmas is a time for celebration, but let's celebrate Iceland as well in its entirety. Yeah, so that was uh, Echo by Runa Runason uh, from 2019. And what have you got in store for me for the final episode next week? So final episode... I thought we'd end on a film that completely surprised me in a very good way. We Ooh. started with a darkly comic tale, a very Icelandic darkly comic tale. And we're going to end in very much the same way with a film called Under the Tree. Lovely. Excited? I am indeed. And I will see you there. And I hope we'll see you there too for the final film discussion episode in this series. As I mentioned, we're going to discuss Under the Tree by Hafstein Gunnar Sigurdsson from 2017. Strap yourselves in for this one, because it's a wild ride. Once again, this is streaming on Amazon Prime in the UK, as well as Mubi, and I'm also told that it's available to rent on Chili, BFI Player, Curzon and Apple TV. As always, let us know what you thought of the film by getting in touch on Twitter, where we're at Kvikmindapod, that's K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D-A-P-O-D, or just chat with us about all things Icelandic. If you can, please subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a short but positive review. See you soon. Tack bless. Thanks and goodbye. <laughs>